Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Terminator Salvation. My guest today is Dan Ingber, a senior editor at Slate. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dana. And you, like me, saw the movie last night. Um, I still don't really know what you thought of it because we never saw each other at this huge, incredibly congested, crazy screening where I will note that all technology was confiscated at the door for fear of piracy. But given the movie, it couldn't help feeling as if, you know, our our phones became our enemies as we walked into that screening. Right. There was a lot of anxiety at the end when people were trying to make sure they got their technology back as they were leaving the theater. And that they got the right one and that it hadn't somehow, you know, been infiltrated by some evil force. So we will get to reconstructing not just the plot, but I want to try to reconstruct the entire timeline of the Terminator universe to date. But uh, but let me just get a quick evaluation. Did you like the movie? I thought the action sequences were a lot of fun and everything else was horrible. So you didn't care about any of the characters. You didn't care about the story. No, not. I mean, it was just I thought it was laughably bad, except the it was just one action scene strung together with another. And those scenes were really good. Yeah, that's what my companion at the screening thought. He thought that it was this kind of soulless machine, you know, like the mm-hmm. the, the T-800 itself, and and that it was just basically unwatchable. And I guess my standards have just been systematically lowered by summer after summer of seeing all these blockbusters. But I thought that as summer blockbusters go, it wasn't that bad. I kind of no, enjoyed it. I mean, it was it was definitely watchable. The badness was kind of entertaining itself. I, I, I felt like it, it met that very low standard of what I was expecting from Terminator Salvation. And we'll get to Christian Bale. I th- actually think that Christian Bale is, is sort of perfect as John Connor. I think he's the best John Connor that we've had so far. But let's try to reconstruct the story of this movie and also sort of how it fits into the whole time travel universe. Okay. So I, I was thinking about that during the movie and trying to remember all the different dates from the previous movies. Well, we should say this movie takes place in 2018. Right. So this the the first Terminator movie, I think, takes place when the movie was released. So in the 80s at some point, mid-80s. Yeah, that's definitely contemporary. But the question is, when is the future? When are the future scenes in, in Terminator 1 taking place? Right. Um, and so then the when the, the robots rebel and attack humanity, I think that's supposed to happen in 2004 or 2005. And so that's the conclusion of Terminator 3. At the end of Terminator 3, John Connor and his girlfriend Kate go into a bunker and the world blows up. And so then this movie is set, whatever it is, 12, 13 years after Armageddon. Right. Well, it would have to be... Oh, yeah, okay. That, it, would, it would be 12 to 13 years after Armageddon, and thus John Connor is now probably about 30 or so? Yeah, he's... Uh... Yeah, that that makes sense. He's older than his own father, anyway, because he's, the year yes. that he's that we've landed mm-hmm. in, Kyle Reese, who as as viewers of Terminator, the first Terminator, know, is the man who was sent back in time from maybe twenty thirty or something like that. Right. So he, John Connor, in the new movie, hasn't yet sent his father back to save his mother. Right. So what he's fated to do is send his own father, a teenager in this movie, played right. by Anton Yelchin, interestingly, who just played Chekhov in the uh, in the Star oh, Trek Oh, I didn't movie. do that. Um, he's supposed to send him back in time mm-hmm. to impregnate John Connor's mother so that John Connor can exist. So we have a Back to the Future style time loop where he has to ensure his own existence. Right. And so, so then let's let's start at the beginning of this movie. What's the first thing we see in 2018? Well, actually, the movie starts in 1993, so we're backing up again. And there's a guy. We on, should post a graph of this to the. I, to the there's actually um, a, on the Wikipedia page. There's a link to a funny YouTube whiteboard demonstration of the storyline of the Terminator movies. Oh, great. We'll link to that on yeah. the show page then. So it begins in 1993. There's this guy who's on death row and some 
scientist, government scientist, corporate scientist, we don't know, comes in and asks him to sign away his body for some extravagant and exotic genetic experiment. And he agrees to do it. He's, he has just killed his brother and some cops, and he's going to be executed. And he finally, he, in exchange for a kiss, he signs away his body. That's awesome. It's, it's Helena Bottom Carter, we should say, who's the scientist oh, right. asking for the kiss. And it's Sam Worthington, this Australian actor who's new, at least to us American viewers for the most part, who plays the, the guy on death row. Did you notice he kept slipping into an Australian accent? Throughout yeah, the movie? he didn't seem to be able to decide, which is which is a big problem for a movie like this. And I yeah. thought Australians were supposed to be such great mimics. I mean, all, all the Australian actors sound American all the time, right? Right. Yeah. Well, he was he was in American mode in the opening sequence. So he donates his body to science, mm-hmm. and this is why I don't actually think this is a particularly big spoiler, but since we can spoil everything here anyway, the experiment that's actually performed on him is that he's turned into this sort of hybrid, right? Half robot, half man, with kind of a flesh covering over a, over a robot skeleton. Right, with a, a beating human heart, which becomes an important symbolic element of the movie. And he's also programmed to—he's programmed at that moment to kill John Connor, or— uh, Presumably, he's programmed in in 2018. So after after that opening scene, then there's the credits. Then the movie starts, and John Connor is leading a raid on a Skynet. And Skynet is the as the overarching artificial intelligence that controls all the robots. So John Connor leads a raid on a Skynet research facility, and inside discovers that Skynet is working on this new kind of Terminator that's half human and half robot. So then after that. That whole lab blows up, and the guy that we've seen from the first scene from 1993 climbs out naked in classic Terminator style. Terminators always begin naked and put on some clothes that they find. So it's not clear then if you're supposed to think – I mean, certainly everything is set up to think that this is a half-human, half-Terminator. But then somehow the movie goes on to make it sort of a mystery whether he's a human or a machine. Right. Yeah. That's why I, I can't really decide whether we're supposed to be surprised at that. I mean, I, I wasn't surprised just because of, you know, press leaks about the fact that the guy was a machine. But it's supposed oh. <laughs> to be the mystery of the movie. And even after you know physically what he is and he's sort of walking around with half of his metal skull exposed, there's a big question about his internal conflict and right. whether he's going to listen to his Skynet programming or, you know, be won over by the charismatic leadership of, of John Connor. Yeah. So that that question of whether he's a, a man or a machine, I mean, there's a lot in the movie where he where they're talking about how he doesn't even know that he's a machine. He's confused by it. And it really called to mind Battlestar Galactica, which has been just running that issue over and over again for many seasons now. Is that but is that a new question in science fiction? Isn't the machine who doesn't know whether he's a machine or not sort of an ancient science yeah. fiction trope? Blade Runner on on back, I guess. I mean, it really is the only thing that provides sort of the heart literally and figuratively figuratively to this movie because Christian Bale's character, I mean, I think he kind of makes a great John Connor because John Connor is supposed to be this utterly fierce warrior, but Uh it's it's kind of a boring character. There's not really any conflict It's incredibly boring. I wanted to ask you, the whole movie I was thinking, which is the scene where the lighting guy walked in and Christian Bale (laughs) flew off the handle? Because when I first heard that, I thought, wow, this must be a scene where Christian Bale is digging deep to, to act, and yet there's no scene in the movie where it's plausible that he would have to concentrate so hard on being being steely and whispering. Well, that's a really funny thing in the, in the production notes. They're all about just, you know, the incredible, intense ferocity of Christian Bale and what an amazing actor he is and how sort of 
sort of alone. I don't know. The, just this image of him is this sort of, you know, God's loneliest man or something mm-hmm. like that. Like nobody can sort of match up with him. And that, that casting Sam Worthington was this big coup because he can sort of go head to head with Christian Bale. And after hearing that audio clip of, of Christian Bale, you know, bawling out the cameraman, which we should also link to on the show page in right. case there's anyone in the world who hasn't heard it. it it's kind of impossible to ever think of Bale in the same way again. Yeah. But at the same time for this kind of role, that's perfect. But he's sort of playing Batman a little bit, even with the, you know, his father gets killed and that whole thing. Well, what summer movie doesn't have that theme now? Right. And Dan, let's stop for a quick word from our sponsor, Audible.com. As regular listeners know, Slate has a great relationship with Audible where you can sign up for a 14-day free trial membership and get a free book and keep your book even if you don't keep your membership. And that address is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. Now, every week we've been recommending a, a Audible book that's related to the theme of our movie in some way, and we have a really great one this week. Dan, do you want to talk about it? There's this other movie that happens to be out at the same time as Terminator, this documentary about Raymond Kurzweil called Transcendent Man. And Raymond Kurzweil is, as many listeners will know, is is someone who's sort of a, vis- a technological visionary. And he has theorized that around the year 2030, machines will become more intelligent than humans. And Kurzweil's followers often debate the question of, well, what happens then? Is artificial intelligence going to be friendly? And, you know, we'll all live happily together in a techno-utopia, or will artificial intelligence be unfriendly, a la the Terminator movies, and enslave us or send Terminators after us to try to kill us? So we thought that maybe a good recommendation for this go-round would be a book about Raymond Kurzweil. Well, it's actually a book um, by Raymond oh, Kurzweil, Ray- which Audible by has. Raymond Kurzweil. Um, it's, well, he's, he's listed as Ray Kurzweil on, on Audible, so you'll find it there. And his book's entitled The Age of Spiritual Machines When Computers Exceed Human Intelligence, which sounds basically like a pitch for the, for the first Terminator movie. So you can find that on Audible. It's narrated by Alan Sklar, and uh, I'm going to take a listen to it myself. Okay. Transcendent Man is the name of the documentary, right? Yes. We'll put a link to that on the page, too. That sounds interesting. All right. Well, Dan, you put me in the awkward position of having to defend this movie, which I think I like a little bit more than you do. Can you Uh talk a little bit about why you think it sucks so much? Well, anytime you have a time travel movie, there are going to be just holes in the plot all the way through. And it's it's ridiculous to try to find inconsistencies in a time travel movie. But I thought that this one really went above and beyond in being inconsistent. So, for example, the premise of the movie is John Connor has to save the teenage version of his own father. And he certainly has this sense that if he can't save the life of his teen of the teenager that will later become his father, he will disappear and humanity will be doomed. And so the computers, the robots, decide they're going to kidnap the teenage father as a way of luring John Connor to the Mordor, whatever it is, computer Mordor, and then kill both of them in one fell swoop. But why didn't the machines just kill the teenage dad when they had him in their hands? Well, this is a question throughout the movie is that these machines go to a great deal of trouble to herd people up onto these cattle cars, which are sort of disturbingly reminiscent of, you know, Holocaust imagery right. and things, and, and take them to this central place and sort of herd them together where they're going to be killed. And the machines are so much stronger than the humans. You sort of wonder why they aren't just human bodies lying all over the landscape that they, they kill wherever they find them. Right. Well, that, I mean, that's another thing. The machines have all different ways that they can kill people. They can shoot lasers out of their eyes that blow up cars. They can launch missiles they can shoot guns but then at the end when it's time to kill john connor they decide that they just want to give him an old-fashioned ass whooping (laughs) they just send a giant machine with no weapons at all just to punch him to death 
<laughs> we should say that uh, that last scene in which um, Christian Bale has this kind of smackdown with the with the old fashioned Terminator. I don't know what model it is, but mm-hmm. you know it looks a lot like the one from the first movie. Is really reminiscent of the first movie, and that and that climax in this sort of factory space. You know, the the space almost looks the same, and as you say, it's sort of down to this cowboy style fist fight between the two, which is sort of the same. Yeah, it's uh, it actually has. Arnold's face and body from circa 1983. Is that well? I definitely want to talk about the Arnold appearance, but it, was that the same Arnold one? The one that he's punching it out with is is was the one that was once Arnold's face? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's spoil this for people. Actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger makes a sort of digitized appearance in this right. movie, which I thought was incredibly well done. I couldn't figure out how they did yeah. it. And you have a friend who told you how how it was done? Yeah, it was based on a, a cast of Arnold's body taken in 1983. So in the era of the first movie. But I thought that was great, just a great scene also, because the whole second movie is about a very young John Connor becoming, you know, pals with Terminator Arnold. So here's this guy who he'll recognize as the person who saved his life when he was a, a little kid and is now coming to kill him, and he has to... The has movie to should of, have milked that more for emotional complication, yeah. because at this point, Arnold, as the Terminator, has meant so much to the kid. It's exactly. the guy who tried to kill his mother and then who sort of became his, you know, pet mm-hmm. <laughs> and buddy in the second movie, and has now gone back once more and become the fierce machine who wants to destroy him. Right. right? And I, I don't think, I mean, that movie is so much about, that moment, I mean, is so much about the technical wonder of, you know, seeing the young Arnold Schwarzenegger seeming to, you know, move before for you, that you're right. All, any possible emotional content it could have had is just thrown away. Right. Well, and as long as we're talking about drop-ins from the first Terminator, we should also mention that Linda Hamilton makes an all-audio appearance. Right. Right. She apparently left some tapes behind for her son, John Connor. And there's actually a nice moment where you get to hear her voice on tape as he, you know, listens to her, her pep talks, her cassette pep talks, and stares at an old photo of her. Right. He does that a few times. You get the feeling that he's down there just playing the tapes over and over again. They must have been hours and hours of tapes, right? Because yeah. he seems to have constructed his entire plan and his entire intent to send Kyle Reese back from these these tapes. Do we ever see her in the first Terminator or the second recording those tapes for him? That would be interesting. I don't remember. No, I don't think so. Yeah, so it's just something that was that was imagined in the in the interstitial spaces. So as long as we're spoiling tearjerker moments, mm-hmm. we should cut to the last scene, the last twist in the movie, which is that after the big Skynet raid, when they've blown up Skynet headquarters, right? Basically, the um, what do they call it? The rebellion has been successful, right? Mm-hmm. But Christian Bale has been nearly destroyed by this by this Arnold um, T eight hundred Terminator or whatever he is, right? Christian Bale's heart right. is about he's, to give he's, out. His heart has been he's been impaled. So his heart has been impaled, and, and now, hours later, it's about to give out. And he's lying on sort of an improvised, you know, in sort of an improvised MASH-style tent hospital, right, field in, hospital. in the desert. And everybody's gathered around. Um, Sam Worthington, the half-human, half half-robot guy. Oh, we haven't even mentioned Christian Bale's wife, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, who's right. just a completely generic character out of God knows where, right? I mean, mm-hmm. she's, she, that's the worst relationship in the entire movie. They should have just cut her out of the movie completely. And who else is standing there? Oh, we haven't mentioned the girlfriend, the sort of hot pilot girlfriend right, of the right. half machine guy. And we haven't mentioned the child. Of course, there's this, there's this, there's the requisite the sort of figure. bait <laughs> child, right? She's just yeah. a piece of bait that you put mm-hmm. in front of various Terminators to make you make you worry about them. But yeah, there's this, there's this little sort of mixed race girl who seems mute. She never talks throughout uh-huh. the whole movie, and who's who's buds with Kyle Reese and is sort of running around um, escaping Terminators with them the whole time. So that gang is all standing by the bedside. Uh-huh. And Christian Bale's about to die, and take it away. <laughs> and so, uh, Christian, Christian, John Connor's wife says he only has a few minutes to live because his heart is giving out. And Marcus, the half man, half machine, who has a human beating heart, steps forward and he says, 
give him mine. And then it happens. And then, believe it or not, John Connor's wife, who I want to remind you, at the end of Terminator 3, when the world's about to blow up, she's a veterinary technician. And so somehow between Armageddon in 2003 or 2004 and 2018, she's become highly trained enough to perform a heart transplant in a field hospital in the desert. <laughs> From a cyber robot to yeah. her own impaled Un- Unassisted. <laughs> so she does a few things, uses some hypodermic Maybe needles. Maybe in the underground bunker she was boning up on <laughs> medical manuals and stuff. Right. It so, didn't even occur to me. Of course, she's Claire Danes. Claire Danes yeah, turns into Bryce Dallas Howard. Exactly. Right? So she does the heart transplant and... There we go. John Connor is alive. And the next movie is set up. Oh, and not only that, but Bryce Dallas Howard is pregnant. So obviously that's going to come into the next movie somehow, that that child is going to have to travel through time and and solve some problem or other, right? right? There were lots of ways that Marcus could have sacrificed himself to to help John Connor before John Connor got impaled in that final fight scene. There were some great moments where he could have just pushed the Terminator into you know, a vat of molten metal, but he just sort of waits. And it was so set up that John Connor would get impaled through the heart. And he keeps delivering rousing speeches about human heart before that, doesn't he? Yeah, the heart, the heart is a big, is a big thing throughout his heart, his heart, right? Because it's the well, it's, only, it's human the heart part that makes body. us human. I mean, I just, that's something that bothers me too, about when people talk, this is a bigger issue, but people talk about the heart that makes us human. I think they mean it metaphorically, not the actual pumping mechanism. And yet in this movie, it gets to, to be the pump. I mean, the heart is but just Dan, not it's a, a metonymy. It's standing for the heart. I mean, I don't think anybody know, is arguing. But why don't they just have a, like a brain transplant would make more sense. <laughs> we'll have to go back and rewrite all of romantic poetry. It's the brain, the brain, my sweet brain. <laughs> right. I have another gripe with the, with the Terminators. Why don't they just use poison gas? Wait who's, wait, who's they? The Terminators. It just bothers me in all of these movies that they don't just use poison gas left and right. <laughs> They're all machines. It would be that they could just fill the whole planet with poison gas, and they would they'd be done. All right, I've I've said my piece. You need to be there advising on the advisory board, guys. Get it done, clean, simple, quick. Don't make a movie. Just destroy the world. <laughs> okay, I think that pretty much covers us on ways the movie sucks for now. But do you want to talk about some of the things you liked about it? Sure. I thought the effects for the robots were great. The robots looked scary. Um, they looked sort of realistic. They were, you know, it, it reminded me of Transformers a little bit, but much, much better. Well, that, the robots are way dirtier and grungier looking than yeah. the Transformers. And I actually thought that the vision, just, just uh, I'm not going to talk about like the dystopic vision as a whole, but just the literal visuals of, of what that world would look like, the future mm-hmm. world, were kind of beautifully done. I mean, there's a really monochromatic co- color palette. You know, there really is a sense of sort of the modern world as it would look 14 years after being annihilated. You know, like that scene that takes place, there's a big fight scene that takes place at a at the remnants of a 7-Eleven that's sort of like a ruin, like a classical ruin of a 7-Eleven, and it's, it's right. kind of cool looking. And there's a, there's a lot of giant robots reaching down and plucking people. I thought that was a terrifying effect. Right, because more so than in the other Terminators, there's these really hugely scaled things that are right. sort of transformer size, right, that mm-hmm. are a couple buildings tall that kind of reach their metal claws down and just snatch a character out in the middle of a conversation. And every time that happens, you're right, it's, it's, a, it's a scary surprise. There's these snake bots, this great effect of this underwater robot, which I think were actually um, physical things that were moving underwater. We're not mm-hmm. we're not digitized animations. Can you describe them? Yeah, they. I mean, they look like robotic anaconda. Eel skeletons, or or something. Something yeah, like eel that. skeletons. That's good. And there's a this great scene where John Connor is in a river or 
standing on a sinking helicopter that just right, crashed. Right, exactly. And he's and they're coming at him from all sides, and there's sort of a camera angle from under the water. And that's a great moment where it's a kind of a combination of sci-fi and just a just an old-fashioned horror movie with creepy things coming at you in the bog. Right. So, Dan, are you going to warn your friends away from this movie, or would you recommend it to someone who who cares about Kurzweil and, econo- and artificial intelligence and the Terminator? I'm going to recommend it. Maybe not to people who care about artificial intelligence, but... To people who care about stuff getting blown up? And yes, I'll recommend it to those people. Big claws reaching into transports? Recommend it highly. Yeah, I think I, I would go with a mild recommend, too, if it's something that you already are interested in. Okay, well, Dan, thanks for joining me for this Slate Spoiler Special. Okay, thanks, Dana. And for Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.